We love different things. What do they say? Variety is the spice of life. And we don't want to go on the same vacation every year. And we don't want to hang out with just the same friend all the time. We don't want to eat the same meal from the same restaurant all the time. We don't want to watch the same movie over and over. I mean, sometimes we do, right? Um, But we're going to try something completely different this week on the podcast. And it's changing things up completely. So let's get started this week on the podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to uh, Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. It's Dave. I appreciate you downloading the podcast, whether you've done it a million times or the first time or the third time. I appreciate it. Now, normally what we do on the podcast, you probably know, is we talk about the book that I wrote called Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. We talk about some of the lessons in life that are in the book, some that are not in the book. We talk about, you know, your things that you've learned in your life, you know, things like don't loan people money, um, send thank you cards, let people say no, feed the goat, which is one of my favorite chapters because it's so kind of metaphoric for things in life that you don't really want to do, but you got to do. And the story is about feeding the goat at a radio station job where I didn't think I should have to feed a goat, but I learned that, hey, if I feed the goat and go the extra mile, then I get noticed. And then I get, and I appreciate the hard work that I did. So the book is all about life lessons. And uh, I'm really proud of the book. And the book is, of course, still available at Amazon.com. Makes a great Christmas present, especially if you know somebody younger in your life that's in college or high school. Um, Check it out. Uh, but we're doing something completely different this week. Let me tell you a little backstory. About 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, I met a guy named Joe. Joe had written a book called We Interrupt This Broadcast. And the book was all about these amazing, tragic sometimes, uh, historic news events that would flash on TV or flash on the radio. And they usually started with something that they don't do anymore, saying, we interrupt this broadcast to let you know that three shots have been fired at the president's motorcade in Dallas, Texas, blah, blah, blah. Or we interrupt this broadcast to let you know that President Reagan has been shot. Or we interrupt this broadcast to let you know that the Challenger has exploded. All these amazing stories. And it's a coffee table book with photos and the story behind the story and a CD tucked in there so you could listen to the actual audio of that day, whether it was on the radio or TV. And then Joe followed up, we interrupt this broadcast, with a couple of more similar books. And he did one called, I think, and the crowd and the crowd went wild or the crowd roared. And it's the sports version of that one. And it's got all these historic, amazing sports stories. So if you know somebody who's into history or might have lived long enough to remember some of these things or is really into sports, look up Joe Garner on Amazon or just ask for his books in, you know, any bookstore, Barnes and Noble, whatever. Um But he's come up with a new book, and I really love this book, and I want to dedicate the entire podcast this week to Joe's new book called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating the Golden Era of Cartoons, 1960s through the 1990s. So no matter how old you are, unless you're 17 and under, you're probably going to remember Saturday Morning Cartoons especially if you get a little bit older, like in your 30s or 40s or 50s or older, you'll remember these Saturday morning cartoons when you used to get up sometimes before your parents and watch TV and eat sugary cereal 
in your PJs in front of the TV while you watch Saturday morning cartoons. And they don't do that anymore, and, and they cover the reason why in the book. And it's kind of sad because kids today, they, they, they get their cartoons on demand. Boom! But when we were kids, you used to have to wait till Saturday morning to watch cartoons. And that's what the book is all about. I'm going to let Joe and his co-author, Michael Ashley, tell the story. This was recorded earlier back at the KWB Space Needle Studio, so the audio might sound a little bit different. But here it is. A really cool interview with my friend, Joe Garner. Hey, it's Dave Ryan, and I'm talking to a, a couple of guys who wrote a book called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating the Golden Age of Cartoons. Now, I don't know if you know how old I am, but I'm old enough to remember growing up in the late 60s and the early to mid-70s, getting up early morning, Saturday morning, in my PJs, pouring a bowl of Apple Jacks and sitting on the floor in front of the black and white TV and watching things like Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, The Jetsons, and Scooby-Doo. These guys wrote a book all about it. Welcome to the program, Joe and Michael. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Dave. Hey. I'm, uh, I'm Thank you for having glad us. Uh, that you've invited us here. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you talk about that period of time. And when you try to describe how magical that really was, uh, to, to people much younger uh, or even people much older. Uh, they, just, they just don't get it. So what we wanted to do was to try to recreate that magic um, through this book, which really does take you through uh, the entire era when, Saturday, when cartoons dominated Saturday mornings. You know, it's such a magical time. Joe and I, I think, are probably closer to the same age. Michael is much, much, much younger and probably has a lot more hair than we do. So Michael is going to cover the part that's later, like 90s, 80s, and 90s on. What, how did you guys break this down? Well, that's exactly it. Yeah, well, I'll ask you, Michael. How did you guys decide to break this down? Okay, sure. So we segmented it according to decade. Um, and, you know, there's about a 20-year age difference between Joe and me. Um we broke it into the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and so I grew up with the 80s uh, and the 90s shows in particular, and that's what really drew, drew me to this material. It's funny, as Joe mentioned, um, this is something that everybody of a certain time can remember relating to, that can remember feeling that excitement and that energy. And so even though I wasn't watching the same shows in the, in the 70s or the 60s, I still had that same excitement on Saturday morning. So in the 80s, I was eating my cookie crisp or our, our Frosted Flakes and watching shows like The Smurfs or G.I. Joe or Transformers. Um, and so we broke, broke it up by, by decades. And then also with, in between each show, we tried to give it a flavor of the times by giving a commercial that you might find in between the shows that might have run at that time. So for the 80s, it could be Teddy Ruxpin or the Cabbage Patch Dolls. It could be Slinky for the 1960s. I saw that. I saw one for Mentos, the fresh maker, in here. Um, and Smash Up Derby, my God, Kenner's Smash Up Derby was like a staple of Saturday morning cartoon TV. And they, they, they had the captive audience because it was kids and there were toy advertisements and candy advertisements and cereal advertisements. It was perfect. I want to jump right in here, guys, and, and I want to go to a bold question right away. And I'm going to have you guys, this is kind of a bold question to come out of the gate with, but I want to see if you can give me a definitive cartoon or maybe the cartoon of each decade. Now, Joe, I'm going to start with the 60s. I know it's a tough question because there's so many options. Wow. you got the Flintstones. Well, you've got Bugs Bunny Roadrunner. Yeah. Give me the cartoon, if you can, from the 60s. Well, you know, look, they're so iconic, Dave. It's a tough one. But I would have to say that if you look at uh, the test of time 
um, Bugs Bunny, hands down, uh, has to be um, the definitive cartoon of the 60s because it, it, while it, in the original run it was 60 to 1968, in subsequent, um, uh, you know, sort of revised editions, it, it, it hit every single one of the networks. And um, it, it's, it's Bugs Bunny himself, the, the character, is uh, globally uh, more recognizable than uh, Mickey Mouse. Really? So, you know, wow. you look at things like that, yeah. And I'll tell you one other thing, real fast. What I, what I loved, there were three primary artists that were responsible for uh, Bugs Bunny and his evolution through the decades. And each of them uh, took a different sort of tact on, you know, you, you can look, you can see the eyes are a little bit different, the ears droop a little differently, and that sort of thing. But to a person, what they attributed uh, Bugs' uh, staying power to was the character, the essence of that character. And that, obviously, um, a lot of that credit has to go to Mel Blanc. But, you know, you look at Daffy Duck and you look at Bugs Bunny, I mean, they were real characters and uh, not just sort of cartoony. Um, and that's why uh, I really look towards Bugs Bunny. But otherwise, you, you know, Flintstones. You, yeah, 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 Flintstones. And yeah, I mean... Now let's go into the 70s. Again, tough question. I admire your your bravery for handling this question. 1970s. <laughs> Personally, I'm going to say Scooby-Doo because Scooby-Doo is my second right behind Bugs Bunny. But what do you think? Maybe you look at it a different way. 70s cartoon. Well, um, you know, I think one of the other uh, things that I think struck both Michael and I about the cartoons and the evolution of the cartoons is how they mirrored uh, society and our culture okay. at the time. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Scooby-Doo definitely um, uh, it, it would would reign uh, supreme there. But I would also uh, take a look at something like Schoolhouse Rock. Oh yeah. Um, you know the influence that Schoolhouse Rock had, and and I'll tell you, it's funny, Dave. When you talk to people who remember cartoons in the seventies, we were just looking at one of the reviews online at Amazon. And that was one of the things she brought up with Schoolhouse Rock and how it literally taught people, um, you know, things like grammar and the Constitution. And so, you know, I think in terms of its impact, I think Schoolhouse Rock, but in terms of just, yeah, for pure entertainment, um, I think I'd really have to go with you on that. I'd, I'd have to agree with Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Can I throw so a... I'll tell you another fast thing. Yeah. Look at Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Okay, yes. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I mean, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids... The idea of that being, um, uh, you know, programmed today is almost unthinkable. Yep. Because, you, you know, first of all, Fat Albert, and then you think about the other characters, Mushmouth yep. and uh, Dumb and uh, Weird Harold, uh, <laughs> you know, Dumb Donald, Weird Harold. Yes. I mean, are you, can you imagine that no. getting um, uh, across our, our PC world today? It just wouldn't funny? happen. Can I throw in something before we get to the best cartoons of the 80s and 90s? Um, and I don't know if it's in the book. The book, by the way, we're talking with Joe Garner and we're talking with Michael Ashley, who wrote a book. And it's an amazing book full of like great stories and illustrations. It's called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating the Golden Era of Cartoons. And it's a great Christmas present for anybody who grew up watching cartoons. And you can get it on Amazon and your local bookstore. And I haven't looked carefully enough through the book. To, did you guys remember a feature called In the News during the 1970s? I do remember that, um, and we didn't include it. We, no. In fact, the only live-action 
uh, program that we feature in the book is Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay. And that was a bit of an arm wrestle between Michael and I because I grew up as a fan of Sid and Marty Croft, H.R. Puff and stuff, yep. and banana splits and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Michael and the publisher won out on that. So um, okay. that's probably why uh, In the News didn't make it in. But I used to love that. That guy's voice, I, I forget his name his now. His name is but, Christopher uh, Glenn. He would say, and I'm Christopher Glenn. In the news, something like yeah, within the news, it was it was fascinating. Let's go on to the 1980s and uh, find out again. Very difficult question, and maybe you'll change your mind later, and you'll want to call me back and say, "Dave, I changed my mind." But Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me the cartoon of the 1980s. Well, first, let me say I'm glad you asked this question. No one's asked us this question so far, and I think it's fascinating to to put it in these terms. So, okay. I would say, hands down, if we had to look at the 80s, I would say the definitive cartoon is the Smurfs. Uh, really? For a lot of reasons. First of all, it was on for um, 1981 to 1989, a whopping 256 episodes. So that's a lot of episodes yep. to have. Um, you know, we, uh, we didn't get into this too deeply, but if you look at a show like The Jetsons or The Flintstones, those shows were only on for about a season or two. If you look at The Jetsons, you know, they, keep, they show those in perpetuity and reruns, but we're really only looking at about one season worth of material from the original show. Whereas the Smurfs has just a wealth of episodes. Plus, if you look at their staying power, I mean, recently, um, as just last year, we had another Smurf movie. Um, they may not be in the same vein as the original cartoon, but if anybody thinks about the 1980s, no, um, no discussion of Saturday morning cartoons could be without the Smurfs. And in fact, it had so many uh, major celebrities on the show. If you look at people from Jonathan Winters to Phil Hartman uh, to even George Takai from Star Trek, um, there were wow. so many people that participated in this show. So if I had to give it to one show in the 1980s, it would definitely be the Smurfs. Okay, good answer. Moving on okay. to the last decade okay. covered in the book, the 1990s, same question. Okay, um, so if I had to put it into an answer, I would say the Animaniacs for the 1990s, and there's a reason why. So um, first of all, if we had to get a hit on Barbera, really owned the previous decades. You know, they had show after show, hit after hit, even talking about Scooby-Doo, um, Flintstones, that, that, was, those, that was their time to shine. But the 1990s really belonged to Steven Spielberg. And so he had shows um, like the Animaniacs, of course, Tiny Toon Adventures, and then Pinky and the Brain actually was an offshoot of the Animaniacs. And so it's interesting to know that Spielberg was very much influenced by Looney Tunes, as we were discussing earlier with Bugs Bunny. Um, but this show really brought in the what I would consider the, the meta era of the 1990s. So in the 1990s, shows became a lot more self-conscious. They became political. Um, and if you look at a show like The Animaniacs, they're actually lampooning in 1992 the election, um, and, and they had a character that was playing Ross Perot. So the, for those reasons, I would say that The Animaniacs really um, broke new ground because it was very self-conscious. It was written for almost an adult sensibility um, as opposed to some of the earlier cartoons that were definitely aimed at kids. And so I would give it to that show. Very interesting. Um, I have so many follow-up questions, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go to this one. You know, you guys had talked about the, the different celebrity voices that were in different cartoons through the years, and, and like in the Smurfs, like George Takai, things like that. I noticed that 
in one particular cartoon, and tell me whether this is, was is a prevalent thing, in the Archie comedy or, uh, comics or, uh, cartoon in the 70s, one guy did like 75 voices. Was that common? Was there just a handful of voice actors that did a bulk of the cartoon voices from any particular era? Like Mel Blanc did Bugs Bunny, and he did Barney Rubble. Was that a prevalent common thing? Yeah, actually, it was. Um, you know, there were a couple of guys, um, names that come to mind, uh, people like Dawes Butler and um, Don Messick and uh, Janet Waldo. I mean, these aren't um, household names. Yeah. But if you're in the cartoon world, I've just given you um, essentially, um, you know, the, the uh, probably the most um, famous and most prolific, along with um, uh, the gentleman I mentioned earlier. Um, oh my gosh, I just dropped his name. Uh, Bugs Bunny. Um, well, uh, Frank, Mel Blank. Frank Walker. Yeah, with Mel Blank. So, um, you know, between Mel Blank, Dawes Butler, um, Don Messick, um, yeah, that really is sort of the uh, Mount Rushmore uh, That's of, so cool. um, of cartoon voice actors in the. Um, you know, in in the formative era, you know, especially in the out of the Hanna Barbera studio, which was so prolific. I told the guys in the studio, uh, Fallon and Steve, I said, "Hey, I'm going to interview these guys who wrote this book. It's Saturday morning, all about the golden era of cartoons." And I said, "Well, what you know, what's your favorite cartoon?" And they they're from the '90s. They both said Animaniacs. But Fallon had a question, and it's actually a really good question. Are there any cartoon bombs that, when they came out, people said this is awful? that now has kind of grown on to be legendary. And I, I, I think that's a good question because I read a review of the Flintstones that's in your book. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the reviewers said, this is awful. This is crap. This is terrible. It's never going to make it. And here it is 50 plus years <laughs> later. And we still love the Flintstones. Any other bombs that, that uh, did a lot better than people thought they would? You, you recall, well, I don't say that. Um, oh, do you, do you want to go ahead? I'll ask no, no, Michael no, I first. Let me. I, I know I it's confusing. If, uh, I, okay, go yeah, ahead. I'm no, sorry. I didn't recall if there was one, so I was just asking Michael. I mean, I mean, in terms of a true bomb, um, I'm going to have to ask Michael if he recalls. But you know, you just talked about the Flintstones, and, and in 30 seconds, same thing with the Jetsons. I mean, the Jetsons, the original episodes, there were only 24. Really That's hard to believe, especially yeah. And uh, it, it, it aired between 1962 and 63. There were 24 original episodes. And the reason that, uh, that ABC attributed its failure was because of the fact that they went with color. And they went with color because they thought they were going to give this uh, vision of a very futuristic world. But what they didn't take into account was in 1962, uh, less than 3% of the U.S. households owned a color television oh, set. Oh, right. Okay. So, you know, the bright, shiny future appeared dull and sort of unengaging in, in black and white. So that would be one, um, even though it, it really didn't bomb in the sense that it had staying power. Michael, do you recall one? Um, yeah, well, actually, one more thing. Um, I want to say Frank Welker will be another character actor, um, especially in the 1980s, going back to your last question, um, yeah. that right. really did a lot of different voices. Um, but, yeah, I'd say the one that, that comes to mind would probably be Josie and the Pussycats. So, you know, that's a good example of a show that it, that continues on. I mean, there was a, a movie in the 1990s where they tried to bring this back and really to bring back the franchise. But it's interesting to note that that really only lasted for, for basically one season and went from 1970 to 1971. And then they tried to release an album based on the material from the show, and the album did not do well. 
Um, there was a second. Um, there, they tried to re-bring, bring it back when the Josie and the Pussycats were in, set in outer space. But even when they tried to do it there, it didn't work. And so what's interesting about this show is that it was based on Scooby-Doo and a lot of the way the formula about um, a group of friends that are um, solving a mystery together. And so they were very much influenced by Scooby-Doo. And if you look at Scooby-Doo, I mean, that came back in so many different forms uh, and different iterations, even to Scrappy-Doo um, and, and the years to come. But Josie and the Pussycats really only lasted for a very short amount of time, even though it was resurrected in the 1990s. Wow, you just gave me a big flashback, and I heard the jingle in my head. I'm going to find some of the jingles for these shows because I hadn't thought about Josie and the Pussycats in a very long time. But I, but it reminds me, you know what? They seem to make shows sometimes out of something that they might not have, they might not have bothered with. The Brady Bunch had a cartoon series, and I don't think it made your book. Did it made your book? No, no, rightfully so. Um, and there were probably a lot of shows back then that were like, well, we tried, but maybe it wasn't the best idea. Um, I'm looking on page 71 right now, and one of the things that keeps coming up is Scooby-Doo. Um, and I'm looking at the catchphrases galore and some of the catchphrases oh, yeah. that Scooby-Doo gave to us. And again, one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show, right? It's tied with Bugs Bunny, I would say. Uh, zoinks! Uh, jinkies! Yeah. Um, what would you do for a Scooby snack? Roro, Reggie! And looks like we've got another mystery on our hands. I mean, cliches that have become, ad, ad, to that generation, became part of that uh, but their pop culture. Yeah. Well, if, if you think about it, even if you look at a show, I mean, a movie like Wayne's World, they did the, the Scooby-Doo ending, right? So that, that entered the cultural lexicon in other ways. It wasn't just the dialogue, but they had their, I mean, when they said that in Wayne's World, people knew exactly what they were talking about yep. when they did the, the, the cliche Scooby-Doo ending. Let me throw this one out there, guys. I mean, if I, somebody my age... If I were to watch Animaniacs, and I'm not going to lie, I have not. I used to watch Rugrats and Phineas and Ferb with my son um, and my daughter. Would somebody from who enjoyed Scooby-Doo and the Jetsons and the Flintstones, would they be able to get into like newer cartoons like Animaniacs and uh, Rescue Rangers or, you know, that type of thing? Well, I think that it really depends on the era that you live. So, for instance... Mm -hmm. Um, I, even though I did not grow up in the 60s, obviously, I did. it was on so much that I watched the Flintstones and the Jetsons, and I could definitely, I definitely related to those shows, even though I was decades apart. But I think if you miss living in that time, like the Smurfs is a great show. We talked about it being the show of the decade. I'm not sure if you grew up 20 years later and you watched it that, that you might get it. I don't know if it holds in the same way. It's like you almost need to watch it as a child and to experience it from a child's eyes. Okay. Gotcha. To really enjoy it. But I will say this. Um, I have a three-year-old child and we, we, uh, they have uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse is on Netflix now and I put it on for my son and he loves it. In fact, <laughs> he loves it so much that for a long time he was going to be Pee Wee for Halloween. Huh, he that's funny. Peter Pan for last, <laughs> last minute. But that one, it does hold up. There's some, there are shows that really do transcend the generations. It's really interesting because, uh, you know, again, there's so much we could talk about and I know you guys don't have all day, but, you know, as, as far as cartoons that didn't quite age as well that go back, my... My um, daughter's grandmother, so my wife's mom, sent my daughter a bunch of Popeye videos when she was probably about six or seven, and she didn't care. And I think yeah. that my grand, her grandmother remembered Popeye and thought that she would have a great affection for it, but it just didn't translate. So somewhere from the 1940s or 50s to my da daughter's generation, 
tastes had changed and kids' attention span had changed and some things just didn't work. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. I'll tell you something else that we, that we discovered in this, too, is that, um, like, for instance, we've got Space Ghost in here. And the reason that Space Ghost was created is because the networks began to see the, you know, all of these cartoons, primarily underdog, they were all created to sell uh, primarily cereal uh, or toys. Mm. And, um, but what they were discovering was that kids were aging out of animal superheroes. They'd age out of Mighty Mouse or Underdog. All right. And so in order to keep them in, they had to create things like Space Ghost and Super Friends and that okay. kind of stuff. And so that, um, that kept the, um, the adolescents uh, still in front of the television set. So um, it, it, that's one of the things that we try to infuse in the book, too, is, is you know, little-known sorts of facts and things about how they were created, how they sustained, and, uh, and sort of why uh, they sort of uh, became extinct, um, which is what happened uh, by the uh, early to mid-'90s. It's so interesting. By the way, we're talking with uh, Joe Garner and Michael Ashley, uh, a book called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating the Golden Era of Cartoons. Before I finish some wrap-up questions here, I want to harken back to the mid late 90s when Joe Garner started a flurry of publishing triumphs. <laughs> Joe, would you like to give a... Because I love your books. When I saw Joe had a new book, oh. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Joe's got the coolest series of books ever. And, um, I mean, right behind Harry Potter, of course. But... <laughs> I'm kidding. But, Joe, give me a, just a quick, like, 30-second synopsis of your other work. Sure. Well, thanks, Dave. And listen, I was thrilled that you invited us on because you've always been my, my lucky charm. I mean, whenever I uh, got to Minneapolis, uh, Dave Ryan in the morning, that was a must. Oh, Still thank in. you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we started um, with the very first book. Uh, which chronicled some of the biggest news events of our times called We Interrupt This Broadcast. And, of course, we live in such a wonderful age that our history is literally recorded, so I included the actual bulletins and news coverage on CDs tucked into the inside back cover. That book is still out there. It's like the Ever Ready Bunny. It's, um, <laughs> uh, it, it's in, And now three CDs and four uh, editions later, wow. followed that up with a, a sports edition, same format, uh, the greatest uh, sports moments in and the crowd goes wild in the sequel and the fans roared and that comes with the actual play-by-play -play. then went to television stay tuned television's unforgettable moments with um, Bob Costas and Dick Van Dyke and Walter Cronkite who was still alive at that time and went into motion picture moments great moments in in uh, in motion picture history with now showing and Dustin Hoffman did a book on comedy with Rob and Carl Reiner called Made You Laugh and uh, Wow. Oh my gosh! I'm Joe, sure I'm take forgetting some. This is this take, is actually book thirteen. Take a Dave. vacation, Joe. Come on now. Um, no, it's it's great stuff. And let me ask you. Here's I have two follow up questions. I know you guys got other stuff to do, but I want to ask you: um, Where can we see these classics today? And I'll put this one to you, Michael. You'd mentioned Netflix and Pee Wee Herman a while ago, but if I want to go see the Flintstones or the Jetsons, do I got to go to a garage sale and hope I find it on VHS? Or where can I see these? <laughs> Well, uh, we live in wonderful times, uh, as Joe mentioned. Uh, we did record all of our history, but I just say, say go to you, go to YouTube. Um, you can watch. All, I mean, that's how we did much of much of the research for this book. So much of it exists on YouTube, and what's also really cool, what I loved about going to YouTube, is that you can um, watch the cart, watch the commercials too. All right. Um, it really it really brings you back there. Like speaking of those uh, smash up cars, um, and watching it and just hearing the music, it's it's awesome. In fact. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the, the show um, on Netflix. It's, it's about the toys that we grew up with. 
Um, but I wish that, um, you know, I think it would really help Netflix if they were to bring some of these shows back or even just do a documentary. Um, this may be the next project that Joe and I work on. Um, <laughs> a documentary where, you know, you get to revisit these cartoons and kind of do a pop cultural roundup of, um, you know, why they mattered so much showing clips of it. I love it. That's so cool. Now, I had promised this at the end of the interview. There's always something that I didn't ask that I should have asked, and you guys have probably got some great questions. What do you guys want to say about your book that I didn't bring up or that we didn't get a chance to talk about or maybe a highlight or, Dave, you got to check out page 39? I'll start with you, Joe. What did you want to wrap up with? Wow. i got to tell you, Dave, I thought this was very thorough, and, and uh, you asked some questions that we haven't been asked before. So, uh you know, I just think uh, what I'd want to leave with everybody is that if you if you experience that era, uh, sitting down with this book and a bowl of your favorite sugary cereal will give you that experience all over again. I we really tried to make sure that we packed it with big, um, colorful photographs that just um, would would uh, you know spark your imagination and that that feeling of nostalgia. So. Um, we can promise that you'll um, get that, that experience and that feeling all over again. I can vouch for that because just going through it is like, oh, my God. I'm looking at, like, um, the Cabbage Patch Kids, and I remember when those were so popular. And, um, yeah. I mean, there's so much, like, the, the old ads and the products and things like that. Um, Encyclopedia Britannica, which they used to advertise all the time. I'll post the same question, pose the same question to you, Michael. Is there anything else that you want to add that maybe you're, you're excited to bring up and we didn't get to talk about? Well, sure. Well, I'll stay with Joe said, which is I, I really like the question. It's been a very uh, wonderful interview. Oh, thanks. Um, one thing I'll say, I'll say is this. Um, Howie Mandel spoke to this uh, in the forward, but it was something that Joe and I felt is very much deeply ourselves, and that's this. To us, Saturday morning cartoons represent uh, a bygone era. You know, we're just talking about YouTube and the Internet, and that's wonderful. The, the Internet is, is a great thing, but it really has atomized us in the sense that each one of us are watching different programs. And what Saturday Morning Cartoons did so well is that it gave us a common language, it gave us a common culture. And so no matter what your age was or no matter what your, 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 how much money your parents made or what your, if you're a boy or a girl, we were all tuning in and watching the same stuff on Saturday Morning Cartoons. Saturday Morning Cartoons, we are all sharing in this magic and this joy together. So um, that doesn't exist anymore, but... Hopefully with the book, um, you can share that with your loved ones, with your friends, your family, read the book, look through the pictures and, and the images, and recreate that magic. I mentioned earlier, I have a three-year-old. Um, it's interesting because we he, he still likes to, he likes to look at this book because so many of these cartoons still exist in some format, whether it be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Superman, um, even the Smurfs. They exist in, in popular culture today, and this is a nice walk down memory lane to get the book. I love it. Uh, guys, I could talk to you a whole lot longer, but I won't. I don't know. I might, I might have a follow-up question and call you tonight. I will, we'll find out what happens. Um, the book is called It's Saturday Morning, Celebrating the Golden Era of Cartoons, 60s through the 90s, written by Joe Garner and Michael Ashley. And there's a forward by Howie Mandel. Again, seriously, if you're looking for somebody that's hard to buy for, I would say between the ages of 20 and 60, which is pretty all-encompassing, it's a great book. Guys, thanks for being on the show. Good luck with it, and um, and hope to talk to you guys again soon. Dave, thank you so much. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Like I said, something different this week. Next week, we'll get back to the regular theme of take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. I've said it a million times. I appreciate you 
listening. There's so many podcasts. The world is exploding with podcasts, and there's some really good ones out there, and it means the world to me that you took time to download and listen to mine. Uh, comments, um, Dave Ryan at KDWB.com. Always love hearing from you. Don't forget our Facebook page. Just search Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and don't steal anything. Have a good week. We'll see you next week when we return to our regular theme on the podcast. You take care.